Well, as Tanner mentioned a few moments ago, we're going to continue today in our series called Rhythms, Cultivating Disciplines of Grace. And a few weeks ago, Tanner laid out kind of the overview and the heartbeat of, of, of where we're headed. And then last week, he gave a great word on the rhythm of the word. And he put a challenge before all of us, I think for the next 28 days, um, to be in the word a little bit every day. And, uh, and so we're going to pick up today talking about one of the other rhythms of grace you usually hear about along with the word. We're going to talk about the rhythm of prayer, word and prayer. American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to pray. Many of you work 50 to 60 plus hours a week, and you've got all kinds of responsibilities at work, and then you're used to being entertained. I mean, think about it. We've got TV, we've got internet, Facebook, endless amounts of Facebook that you can just spend hours continuing. I mean, the list, does it ever, has anybody ever gotten to the bottom of just scrolling down and you haven't, I mean, you just continue scrolling it down on, on your app there and it goes endlessly. You've got Pinterest, you've got Twitter, we could go on and on. You've got games. Temple Run, anybody? Where's my water? Angry Birds. Hey, I, I know, oh, we, got some, we got some takers here. And you have all of this at your fingertip right? So used to, I mean, now everything, I can watch TV on my phone. I, I check the internet on my phone. I play all of these games on my phone, Facebook on my phone. And then we've talking about working 50 to six hours a week. Many of you, that may be just the hours that you clocked in, but you're, you're putting other hours in because you're checking your email on your phone throughout the evening. I mean, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to pray. Who's even tempted right now to, to go grab your phone? To take a peek? Is there a text message? Is there a tweet? Some of you are probably even using your phone right now to read the Bible. We got one back there. Have you ever thought, I'm just too busy to pray? I don't have time to pray? You know another reason prayer is so hard in our culture? We prize intellect, competence, and wealth. If you have all of those things, you don't need God. Does prayer feel useless to you? As if you're wasting your time. Can you relate with me? You get up in the morning. You've got your coffee made. You sit down to pray. Heavenly Father, and you get about 15 seconds in, and what happens? It's the first time you've probably been quiet in a while, from either the kids running around or all of the distractions, and, and probably you've put your phone away just for a few seconds here, so that there's a, the moment of silence, and you are just overwhelmed with everything you've got to do. Hey, I've got, I've got groceries to buy. I've got emails. I've got 50 emails waiting for my reply today. I've got a to-do list 
at work. I've got a, a huge meeting that I've got to prepare a presentation for. I've got a paper to write. Can anybody relate? And so you start 15 minutes in your prayer and then it's hijacked by all of these things that you have and you're overwhelmed and every bone in your body cries out, stop praying, get busy, go get to work. Can anybody relate? Look, I'm there with you. So as I kind of paint this picture, I, I'm not painting this to cast stones. I'm saying, hey, look, I can relate because I've got an iPhone and I know the, the buzzing's going off and, and, and I get emails throughout the day that relate to my job that need to be replied to and I've, I'm trying to write a dissertation over the next few months. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by everything that I've got to do in life. Paul Miller says this, our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. We don't need Him. So here's what I want to propose today. When we come to the Scriptures, we see that along with the Word, that cultivating the rhythm of prayer in our lives is one of the most foundational means of grace that God uses to bring about gospel renewal individually and corporately in the life of this church. So here's what I want to question you with. Will you today use this sermon as an opportunity to reflect on your current rhythm of prayer or lack thereof and seek and ask God to ignite right desires and attitudes towards prayer in your life? That's what I want to ask you to do. And I'm going to pray I'm going to pray and ask that God would open our eyes and help us to have teachable hearts and, and really to change us in, in working towards this rhythm. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I've probably even sparked a number of worries in many people's lives right now as they're dreaming about everything they've got to do, maybe even today. And God, I know many of us feel so overwhelmed in life as if we don't have time to pray or maybe we're, we're pretty arrogant and we don't really think that we need to pray, that it's just a waste of our time. And so, God, we need your grace even today as we hear your word. And we need your grace to change us, to empower us, to cultivate this means of grace because we desire you to work in us, in our church, and in our city and among the nations for your glory. So God, we ask and we cry out for help this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Two weeks ago, Tanner laid out the framework for this whole series. And he put two huge words up on the screen. Dependent discipline. And he said, these are the two things that we need in life. We need dependence on God along with a disciplined life. Now, when we come to Ephesians chapter 6 today... We're going to see these two complementary truths stand side by side together. So when we come to Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, this is the concluding part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians as he's telling them and exhorting them on how they should live the Christian life in a manner that's worthy of the calling of the gospel. And look at these two truths we see here beginning in verse 10. The first one, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Dependence. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is a present passive here. 
And what, he, what, what I mean by that is he's not saying, the strength is in you, be strong. It is a passive, and he's saying, you need to be strengthened. You don't have the strength. The strength is coming from the Lord. So it's be strengthened, dependence on God. It is the strength of his might. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You remember that quote from a few weeks ago? Your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Dependence on God. Do you know what one of Satan's greatest lies that he wants you to believe and many of us have bought into? It's this. Satan wants you to believe that you don't need God. You need God to be forgiven of your sins and to have eternal life, but that's it. That's, that's your check. That's your ticket into heaven. But after that, you've got the wealth, the strength, the competence, the ability. You don't need God for the mundane of life, for your job, for your family, for your kids. You don't need God. Satan wants you to buy into that. And many of us believe that. You know what? If Satan can keep you self-sufficient, you'll be worthless and useless for the kingdom. And so that's what he wants you to believe today. You can do it. Depend on yourself. You don't need God. If you're going to live the Christian life in the power of God, you must kill self-sufficiency. So we see, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Jump on down to verse 12. He gives the reason in verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual war. We just sang about it in this song, O Church Arise. There is a real war daily that is waging war against your soul. And this war never ceases. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. As we're going to see later on today, the great thing about that is that God is stronger. Of all these forces that we just mentioned, God is stronger. That's why. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And at the same time, we see discipline. Go back to verse 11. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. Dependence on God. Discipline yourself. Put on the whole armor of God. Do you see that? It's not, a, it's not an either or. It's a both and. It's dependence on God as you discipline yourself with putting on the armor of God. And he continues. He describes this armor. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying. You see that? Discipline yourself. Put on the whole armor of God. And he lays out this whole armor. And by the way, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the armor. In fact, I preached this very text, January 2012. You can go listen to that on our website and get the full laid out because my goal today is to focus primarily on prayer. 
But what I want you to see here, as Paul's concluding this whole book to the Ephesians, and he's talking about life as war, and you need to be strong in the Lord, and you need this armor of God, he lays out the whole armor, and then in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In verse 18, how many times does Paul mention prayer? See the word praying? That's the first time. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer. Yeah, that's great. All prayer. He's not only mentioned it four times. You see these words all, all times, all prayer. He, he's, he's casting this picture of a life, of a rhythm of life that is centered around prayer. All prayer. The third one is supplication, another word for prayer. And then he continues on to that and keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, prayer for all the saints. Four times in verse 18, pray, 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 all times for everything and for everyone. Prayer is foundational for the deployment of the entire armor of God. You see this picture? Be strong in the Lord. Put on the old armor of God. Pray. And yet Satan wants you to believe that prayer is a waste of your time. Paul Miller continues in saying, if you are not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. And so this leads us to the first truth that, it, that if we're going to have and cultivate this rhythm of prayer, we've got to embrace, and it's this. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. Self-sufficient people don't pray. If you don't think you need God, you're not going to walk away today saying, yeah, you're right, I need to cultivate this rhythm of prayer in my life because you're going to think, hey, I've got it all together. My education, my time, my talents, everything I've got, hey, I don't need God. If, if you don't be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, you will not pray at all times. You see how those go to, together? He starts off, be strong in the Lord, and he gets praying. They're connected together. Dependency on God and cultivating this lifestyle of praying. And this is why Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? I mean, the deepest part of your soul, do you really believe that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? So dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. But not only does does recognizing your dependency drive you to prayer? You know what the cool thing about prayer is? Praying actually drives you to dependency. Let's go back to this morning routine. I've got my coffee. I've set, a, set everything aside, and, and I start into my prayer, and then I'm overwhelmed with life. But do you know that every minute you spend in prayer is one less minute that you have to go do everything else you need in life? Do you see? So to spend time in prayer is to take away the time that you could be doing everything that you've got to do. And so in this way, prayer actually becomes a means of grace. You want to depend on God? Go spend 15 more minutes uh, tomorrow morning and go pray. 
Take 15 minutes out of your life and go pray before God and say, okay, God, I'm going to depend that you will multiply and help me to do everything I need to do in life. Prayer drives you to dependency on God. How would you rate your dependence on God on a scale of one to 10? Maybe, maybe something you need to pray today as we respond later to the word would be this. God, break me of self-sufficiency and pride. And maybe that's something that you need to pray every day from here on out until he actually does it. Break me. Show me my dependence upon you. Because until you see that, you will not pray as you should. So dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. And then the rest of our time that we're going to do today is, is, is we're going to be pursuing this. Cultivate the rhythm of prayer as a discipline of your life. If you're going to pray and if you're going to cultivate this prayer, you need to know what does this rhythm look like. And, and we see a few of these characteristics in Ephesians chapter 6. But we're also going to look at some other passages, some teachings of Paul and other places, and also on Jesus. And, and first of all, I actually want us to start with how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And many of you know this. I'm, I'm just going to quote it. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How many of you memorize that prayer? Most of you know. Many of you may be playing sports. I grew up playing sports. Um, played football in college at App State. Before we'd head to the field, everybody would gather around together and we would pray the Lord's Prayer as, as if it was some magical prayer that would allow us to win the game that day. We all know the Lord's Prayer. But notice how it starts out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing that we've got to get today, if we're going to cultivate prayer, is that we must pray reverently. Pray reverently. I'm going to come back to the Our Father in a second. I'm just going to jump forward to where he says, Hallowed be your name. Let me just pose a question for you. How can sinful man approach a holy God? Man, has that actually crossed your mind as you think about When we talk about prayer, prayer is talking to God, right? How can we even approach this holy God? If you're going to approach a holy God, you've got to have an advocate. You've got to have somebody that's going to go before you. And that's why throughout Scripture, we always hear Jesus saying, pray in my name. I've given you a few verses up here. Look here. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do it, that, my Father may, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Have, have you listened to how we pray here at Redemption Hill? We'll pray, and then usually we end it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brian Chappelle Chapel, Brian Chapel has written a book called Praying Backwards. Transform your praying by praying in Jesus' name. For many of us, I think that Jesus' name part is just like the tagline that kind of seals the prayer and makes it acceptable to God. And we never really think about this whole process of how we actually can approach God in prayer. Prayer is only possible because of Jesus. Look here with me in Ephesians. Uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. I've got it on the screen for us. Hebrews 10. 
The author writes, Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me just point out a few things here. Brothers, we have confidence. We can come and approach God and enter into the most holy places. places. But notice where our confidence is. He says, you have confidence enter by the blood of Jesus. And he says, therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is what makes prayer possible. You see, by Jesus' perfect life, sinless life, his death, dying on the cross, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and his resurrection. I look to Christ and I say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin because it's my sin that keeps me from coming and approaching a holy God. So you're here today and you've got to get this. Before you can pray in a way that is acceptable to God, You've got to pray through Jesus. You've got to come to know Jesus. Otherwise, you have no way that you can approach a holy God. God only hears and accepts our prayers through Jesus. And let me make a little side note here. You don't need a priest. I know we live in a highly Catholic context, and maybe many of you came from a Catholic context. But because of Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, go pray through somebody else. He says, pray in my name. Jesus is the one who has gone before God that paves the way. So, so I, don't need to, I don't need to come to Tanner to pray. You don't need to come to me to pray. You go straight to God in prayer through Jesus. He is your high priest that makes your prayer acceptable to God. Pray in his name. But you also need to get this. Prayer is not the means by which God accepts you. You don't need to leave today and think, okay, man, I really need to just cultivate and pray more and God will accept me and I'll get into heaven. That's not true. You cannot pray long enough, consistently enough, and genuinely enough to make God accept you. But I will say this. When you come to see Jesus for who he is, as the greatest treasure and savior of your life, you, you're probably gonna express that in some kind of prayer. Let, let me pose that you might even pray like the tax collector who came before God and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In fact, if you're here today and say, man, I've never really had a prayer life, and I'd say that ought to be probably the first thing that you pray. When you come to see a holy God, to pray reverently is to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so when you're confronted with your sin, you confess that sin, and yet you turn to Jesus who says, by my blood, go confidently because I've forgiven you. You place your faith in Jesus and he will forgive you. So let me say this, prayer doesn't save you. But prayer is often the means by which we express our faith in Christ. Do you know how someone is saved? God saves you, and he saves you through repentance and faith. You turn from your sin, and you believe. But when you believe, you cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
That's what you say. And so prayer is the expression of what's going on in your heart. Is that what maybe you need to do today as you're confronted with your sin is to come before God and say, God, I am needy and dependent. And what I'm most needful for is for you to forgive me. And you know what promise we have in the word? The promise that we have in the word is that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you. Today, if you call upon God in prayer and ask God to forgive you, he'll do it. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We come and we pray reverently. And so God's holiness drives us to adoration, hallowed be your name, and confession, repentance. But the second way that we're going to cultivate rhythm is not only praying reverently, we're going to pray relationally. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be our name. Hallowed be your name. But notice why I didn't start with our Father. You can't pray our Father, or you can't pray my Father until you've become a child of God. I mean, you've got to enter into a relationship with Him before He becomes your Father. And so the way you become a child of God is through repentance and faith in Christ. You are born again. You are received, and and you become one of God's children. He adopts you into His family through Christ, and you cry out, my Father. What truths can we learn from this? When we think about prayer relationally, we realize this. Prayer is not the end goal. The goal is just not to pray for prayer's sake. Why do we pray? We pray because prayer is about a relationship. It's the way we talk to God. Prayer is about knowing God. Prayer is the vehicle. It is the conversation. It is the communication by which we engage with God. But knowing God is the goal. And so also when we think about conversation and relationships, I would say this. One thing that we can learn is that you don't have to pretend to be somebody you're not. You know what I value in a relationship with my wife or with any one of you is this. I want you to be authentic and genuine. Isn't that what you want from your friends? Hey, be real with me. Why shouldn't this be any different with God? So let me tell you this. You may be thinking, you know what? I've got to go clean my life up if I'm really going to cultivate this rhythm of prayer. No, you don't. Do you have to clean your life up to become a Christian? No. You don't, you don't try to become perfect and acceptable to God and say, okay, God, here I am. To become a Christian, you look to Jesus who was perfect. And God accepts you not because of anything you've done. You're praying, your good works. God accepts you and you become just because of Jesus. Jesus is not only the savior of your soul, he is the savior of your prayers. And so you don't go clean up your act to come pray to God. God looks at your meandering prayers and your weariness and your mess and he delights to accept and hear you because of the adequacy of Christ. So maybe what you need to learn today is that God wants you to start being real with him. So where do you start? And I would say this, start with what's on your heart. Tomorrow morning, get up and say, God, I'm prideful, I'm self-sufficient, and for the most part, I don't think I really even need you. I'm just being honest. Will you change that? 
Will you help me to see my neediness? God, I am overwhelmed at work. My marriage is a wreck. I'm not loving my spouse the way I should. I'm not investing in my kids. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I'm weary. I'm over. Be honest with God. He, look, he already knows all that. Right? Why pretend like you've got it together? And so at the heartbeat of prayer is, is coming to God reverently, but also coming to God and being who you are. Because it's not because you can pray some eloquent prayer. You may think, you know what? I'm just I can't pray eloquently enough or theologically enough. Or, man, I just don't sound good when you pray. Well, you know what? Maybe you need to relearn praying. Because prayer is not about how good you can sound before God. Prayer is about being genuine with open your heart and being real with God about where you are. So just start by sharing what's on your mind. Maybe I can cast a little picture for what this might look like. Last weekend, Lee and I got to travel, and we were honored to be a part of Seth and Michelle's wedding. Congratulations. They're here as newlyweds with us today. And uh, the, it was a beautiful ceremony. I feel like everything went great, mainly because of them, and God was honored. Um, but they got married last Sunday, and then we flew back last Monday morning, but we were flying out of Charlotte, so we contacted some friends in Charlotte and said, hey, can we crash at your place? Now, the, these are some friends that we went to college with, um, and, and we haven't, hadn't seen in maybe seven years. I mean, I hadn't talked to this guy on the phone, but it was just like one of those, I mean, they, they were believers. We were in Campus Crusade with Christ together in church together, and just, I mean, it was a sweet friendship in college. And so they said, yeah, we don't have a bed, but you can come, you can come sleep. We go blow up an air mattress. And so we went and crashed at their place. And so we show up, imagine, hadn't seen them in seven years. And, and they've got some water and some snacks, and we just sit down for hours and have conversation and talk. And they are sharing what's on their heart and sharing some struggles that they've been through. And, and we, were, we were sharing some things that we've gone through, and adoption, and where we are in life, and planning a church, and what Boston's like. And, and our, our, our conversation was play-like almost. It was, I mean, we were going back and forth, and they'd share something, and it would get us on a tangent, and we would chase that, and then we'd come back around, and we would, we would share something a little bit more about our kids or our family. You know what? We weren't focused on, on saying the, the, on communication or words. We were focused on a relationship. And you know what? We looked, and it had been two or three hours. And we're like, you know, we probably should go to bed because we fly out really early in the morning. Why shouldn't our relationship with God be any different? Being honest, being genuine, sharing what's on our heart. Isn't God a person? Father, Son, Spirit? And you be honest. He's your Father. Share with Him. Pray relationally. But let me give you a caution. I want a caution against systems. You may have heard before, hey, what you, what, here's what you need to do in prayer. You need to apply the Acts Mall of Prayer. Anybody heard of the Acts Mall of Prayer? What do you do first? What's the A? Adoration. You spend a couple minutes in adoration, and then you move into C. Confession. And, and once you feel like you've confessed enough, then you can move into to thanksgiving. And then the S, which is what? Supplication. Then you feel like you can just start asking for things. And so those are, those are all characters. You're going to hear all, we've already talked about adoration, confession. Look, those are all parts of prayer. But here's what I want to caution against. Sometimes systems can desensitize us to God as a person. I'll give you an example. Go try this on, on, on a close friend. Go try this on your spouse. 
Lee, what if I came home today and I spent, okay, I'm going to spend two minutes adoring Lee, and I'm going to spend two minutes into confession that I hadn't taken out the trash as I should, and I haven't helped out with the clothes and cleaning the house as I should, and I'm just a horrible husband, and then I move into thanking her for the dinner that she's cooked that we're going to enjoy, and then I hand her my to-do list of everything that I really need her to do this week. How far do you think that would get me with Lee? I probably wouldn't get past the A, and I'd get like... I'm just kidding. She wouldn't do that. Do you get the point? As you think about all these things, pray reverently, pray relationally, and we're going to share a few others. You need to make sure that you don't lose and disconnect prayer from the heart of God as a father. It's a relationship. So yes, you ought to have these things in your prayer, but don't let them become so rigid in your life that you forget that God is a person. He's a relationship. Have a conversation with him, which may means, yeah, you start an adoration, but there, you, you may just have a crisis and you go straight to God with supplications and God, I need you right now. And then it moves into God answering and you go into thanksgiving. Be genuine. Be real. Third, pray biblically. I want you to listen to these promises of Jesus and be honest with me. What's your reaction? I've got a few on the screen up here. Look at these here. Look at this first one. The first one is this. If you ask me anything, I will do it. What about this next one? Whatever you wish, it will be done for you. I already got another one. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. What do you think? Does that make anybody feel uncomfortable? Ask me anything, and I'll do it. Now, I want to just tease out a few dangers and make sure that our praying is lining up biblically. And, and I think we see these two dangers in James chapter 4. I've got another verse for you. James chapter 4 says this. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see these two dangers? The first danger is you don't ask at all. Why don't we ask at all? We're self-sufficient. We're prideful. I don't need God. Maybe your attitude today is, man, prayer doesn't really make much of a difference. Or maybe it's this. Have you ever just really wrestled with this? If God is sovereign, why pray? God is completely sovereign and orchestrating everything. Well, then why pray? It's going to happen anyway. The second danger is that you ask selfishly and you turn God into a virtual ATM that you just come and you just, you're just asking him and, and you basically turn God into serving your purposes. Those are two errors and two dangers of prayer. And I believe what I want to propose is that we need balance. And so here's the balance that we see in Scripture, that we've got to hold these in tension. God is absolutely sovereign, and He is a God answering and God hearing God. He's absolutely sovereign, and He hears and answers prayer. Now, in your mind, you're wrestling through, how can those both be true? And what we see in Scripture is there's a lot of mystery sometimes and some tensions, and that we need to learn to live and the muddiness sometimes of affirming both of these because they're both true in Scripture. God is sovereign, and God answers prayer. 
Now, our tendency is to either diminish one and elevate the other. Or elevate one and diminish the other. That's what we do. We want to elevate the sovereignty of God. And if you do that, you're not going to pray. God's sovereign. I don't need to pray. If you, on the other hand, man, God is a, a God hearing and answering prayer. Well, then I'm just going to pray forever. I want to pray for. I'm going to turn God into a virtual ATM. And yet we need balance. And let me say you this. If your theology has led you to not pray, something's wrong with your theology. You need to change your theology. But hey, look, I've been reading the past few weeks in Daniel. Um, and, and just go read Daniel 9 and 10. Tanner and I read it with sharing Daniel with, with Tanner this past week. Go read Daniel 9 and you'll see this Daniel that's praying the sovereignty of God, but yet he's praying bold prayers. And, in, and go to Daniel 10 and says, I've heard your prayers and I've answered. We see all throughout Scripture, people pray and God answers prayer. We see prayer commanded, Jesus saying, ask me anything in my name. And I would say for the most of us, if we're going to lean on one of these areas, it's because we don't, we, we, most of us don't ask at all. I would, I would, if I had to put most of us in a, in a camp, I would say most of us are guilty of not really asking God for anything. So let me give you four words that will transform your praying. Here they are. Ask boldly. Surrender completely. Can you say those with me? Ask boldly. Surrender completely. These four words will help you to dream again. These four words will give you hope in life. These four words will, be, will lead you to a praying life that is filled with all kind of possibility. And I'll give my defense of these four words right here. I've got a verse from what Jesus said on the cross. Look at this. Jesus before he goes to the cross, says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will. Do you see the ask? All things are possible. Remove this cup. Do you see the surrender completely? Not my will. Your will be done. Ask boldly, surrender completely. Let me, what if as a church, Oh, church, arise. What if our church arose and today started walking and asking God boldly and surrendering completely? Going back to the, the Lord's Prayer. A Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Ask boldly. You know what the next phrase is? Your will be done. Do you know why many of us don't want to pray that prayer? It's actually a pretty scary prayer. To pray, to ask boldly and surrender completely to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, is to say, King Jesus, come rule my life. So maybe the reason most of us don't pray as we should is because we really don't want King Jesus to come rule our life. We think we're a better king than he is. And, and, and my prayer is that God would use his word today afresh on our people to say, you know what? We need King Jesus to come rule our lives. And that will drive us to dependency. And imagine what God could do if as a church, individually and corporately as a church, we started cultivating these four words. Ask boldly. Surrender completely. Imagine what God could do
in a church, in a city, in an area, among the nations. Will you dream with me? This opens up all kind of possibility. We need to pray biblically. And you know one of the great ways to pray biblically, to ask boldly and surrender completely, is to tie your praying with the Word of God. So what I'm proposing today is not, hey, stop reading your Bible and jump onto my game plan. Like, yeah, Tanner had a great sermon, but, you know, put his command beside and, and, and pray. What I'm saying is word and prayer. I mean, devote yourself over the next rest of these challenges at Tanner, next three weeks, and, and get in the word and then pray the word. So as you read the word of God and you're seeing these commands of God and you're seeing the will of God, pray the will of God. If you really want to learn to pray, I say this is the best thing you can do in your praying. Tie your praying with the word of God. And so as you read the word, pause and then pray that back to God. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for others. Pray it for your church. Pray it for your community. Pray biblically. Fourth, pray exhaustively. So far, we've talked about the manner in which we should pray, but what should we actually be praying for? If we were to go back to Ephesians 6, at the end of the armor of God, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, making supplication for all the saints. I've got another verse up here for you. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you see dependence there? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. What should you pray for? Everything. Charles Bridges, in his commentary, I want you to see what he writes here in his commentary on this Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. He says, It is nothing less than self-idolatry to conceive that we can carry on even the ordinary matters of the day without his counsel. counsel. Be in the habit of going to him in the first place before self-will, self-pleasing, self-wisdom, human friends, convenience, expediency. Before any of these have been consulted, Go to God at once. Consider no circumstances too clear to need his direction. In all thy ways, small as well as great, in all thy concerns, personal or relative, temporal or eternal, let him be supreme. Is God supreme in your life? This is what it means. In everything, pray. Pray at all times with all prayer. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And so let me just help you out here. You say, hey, man, what should I be praying for? God actually wants you to be praying for everything in life. So let me just throw a few options out there. Should we pray to God about our college choice? Yeah. Should we pray to God about a potential car we're looking at buying? A potential house that we're looking at buying? Should we pray to God about a potential boyfriend or girlfriend or future spouse? Should we pray to God about how he wants us to spend our vacation time this year? Let me tell you what we normally do. If we're going to go buy a car, and hear me right, I'm not saying any of these are bad. We're going to go and, and we're going to go to the car dealership. And we may talk with Randy. No, I'm not throwing this at you, Randy. We go to the car dealership, 
They tell us all about the cars. We go to our financial advisor and they look at our bank account. They say, okay, this is kind of your financial situation. This is a loan that you could get. You talk to your friends and say, what do you know about this car? Has it ever crossed your mind that before any of those, that you might even go to God in prayer? That God is actually concerned with the small matters of every part of your life? Now you may say, man, why does God care about a car? Why does God care about my college choice? Why does God care about a house I may buy? Because God wants to be supreme in all of it. And God may say, yes, at this time in life, that is a wise decision. But he may also say, man, why do you want this car? Why do you need this car? He may search your heart and ask you some other questions and penetrating questions that reveal maybe some wrong motives, some wrong desires. Maybe it's the wrong timing. But God wants to be supreme. And the way he's supreme in your life is you come to him with everything and you say, God, your will be done. Maybe, just maybe, we could have protected ourselves from some bad decisions we've made in life by actually going to God in prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't talk about it with other people. There's wisdom in the counsel of community. But go to God and go to Him supremely in prayer. So we should be praying to God about everything in life. Now, let me make a quick distinction here. I want to make a distinction between what we may call maintenance prayer and frontline prayer. Maintenance prayer is what I've just described to you here. Pray about everything. These are many of the temporal realities of life. So go pray about a car, but let me just remind you, a car one day is going to end up in a junkyard. Go pray about a house, but one day when Jesus comes and there's a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth, that house is going to be rubble. Go pray for a spouse, but one day in heaven, you will not be given in marriage. You see the point here? God wants to be supreme in every aspect of your life, but don't limit your praying to just maintenance prayer. You've got maintenance prayer, but we need to balance that with frontline prayer. And frontline prayer focuses on eternal realities. What are things that are going to last forever? What about people's souls? C. John Miller says this. He says that frontline prayer is usually characterized by these things. Confession of sin. Sin. Eternal matters of God. The flourishing of the church. The reaching of the lost and a yearning to know God. So let me just challenge you. Man, in your community groups, in your praying with your friends, I know it's easy to just share there's a sickness, there's a financial need. And yes, God wants to be supreme in all those. But let's pray for eternal realities. People who need Jesus. Because ultimately, yes, Physical just touches a part of it. Ultimately, behind a lot of those are spiritual soul needs. So pray for people's souls. Let me give you a few suggestions. Pray for yourself. Pray for, your, uh, for others. And when you think of others, think of all your relational networks. Your family. Start with your home. Your coworkers. Your classmates. Your neighbors your friends. And as you pray for all of those, they're probably, they're going to fit in two categories, Christians and non-Christians. And so as, as you learn to cultivate praying for people, 
I would say, go and read the prayers of Paul. He starts off most of his letters with a prayer and imitate those prayers in these relationships and the way you pray for others, the way you pray for Christians, the way you pray for non-Christians, you'll find in your seats there, these movement cards have movement on the front of it and they've got six spaces at the bottom of them. Why do we give these to you? They're tools, they're resources. Fill these out and, and pray for people. This is to help you process through your relational networks and pray in frontline prayers for the people in your life. Take these. I've got mine filled out and it stays in the front of my Bible. So when I open my Bible in the mornings to pray, I pull out a few things. I'll pull out a, a movement card as I'm praying for the lost. I've shared some of this with you guys before. I'll pull out a, a little piece of paper that I've typed everybody in my community group that I'm praying, these are people that I'm doing life with. I'll pull out our membership role. As everybody's name that's a member at Redemption Hill, that I'm praying for specifically. It's got your kids' names on it. It has, it has some other things. Which community group you're in? I'm, I'm praying for these things in your life. I'll pray for my church. 2013 Mission and Vision. It's, it's stuck right there in my Bible. And I'm pulling out and I'm laying all these things out and I'm praying, God, that you would work and use our church for eternal matters in our city. And, and along with that, I've got a little card. If you guys have been around me long enough, you'll see this little card. And I, I replace it every once in a while. And, and this is where I write people's prayer requests down. You meet somebody today and they share a need and you say, hey, I'll pray for you. Now, I know me, I have a horrible memory unless I write something down. And so the way that I can commit, if you share a prayer need, is I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write your name. I'm going to go back this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow morning. I'm going to reflect, who did I have a conversation with that I said I was going to pray for? I'm going to, your name may be on this list here. And you'll see, I just scribble all over it. And I pull these out. And these, these are what that's guiding my prayer before God. Now, again, the caution. Systems can desensitize God to as a person. But yet, man, anything that's important in life, we create systems to help us. And so this helps me to know, man, when I go to pray every morning, what am I going to pray for? And I'll pull all this out, and these are guides to my prayer life. I would encourage you to do the same. The last one, pray for yourself or others for your church, and pray for cultural issues. You say cultural issues. And pray for your city. Pray for your elected officials. I'll give you one. What about orphan care? What about praying for something, somebody like Daybreak? who's seeking to magnify the sanctity of human life in greater Boston or foster care or adoption. That's just one example of, of, of social, cultural issues that you go and beg before God. All right, I need to move. I got two last things I want to share with you. Pray continually and persistently. Pray continually. When should you pray? You see here, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Make a supplication for all the saints. Be constant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. These are commands. And this is the way Paul exemplified. You go read the prayers of Paul, and he starts out, I thank my God first of, you, first of all for you that without ceasing night and day, I pray for you. This is the way Paul prayed for those in his life. And this makes sense, right? If we're going to pray exhaustively for everything, well, then we're going to pray continually for everything. So what does this look like? I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, I always feel it well to put a few words of prayer between everything that I do. 
So you may get up in the morning and, and have a concentrated time of prayer, but then you may head to work and you've got a big meeting that you've got and you're praying, God, would you help me in this meeting? For me today, I'm driving in my car and I'm having a conversation with my wife and saying, baby, I'm praying today. Will you guys pray for me? Yesterday, we're driving to a church planters gathering and I'm sharing with my wife. I'm saying, Lee, I, 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 we need to pray right now because my greatest challenge when I'm around all these church planters is pride is I want to compare how our church is doing with all these other church planners. And, and I said, Lee, let's pray because I want to magnify God and I want to love the kingdom and it's not about Redemption Hill. And we prayed before we went to that. That is an example of praying continually. You scatter seeds of prayer from meeting to meeting, from the grocery store to the gas station. Hey, men, when you come home from work, you're exhausted and you, for me, my wife's been at home with the kids, and I've got to pray, God, help me with energy to come in and engage my family. Because you're going to be tempted to go veg out on the couch. You need prayer. That's what it means to pray continually. And we pray persistently. We don't stop. Like a child, like my kids that ask, Dad, 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 can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? We ask our Father persistently. Jesus commands it. He gives examples of the persistent widow, and he says, this means that you ought to pray and not give up heart. Final encouragement, we pray systematically. For many of you, you use the excuse, I pray all the time, for not praying in the morning. So let me challenge you, don't use this as an excuse to have consistent, devoted prayer before God. Nothing fuels continual prayer as concentrated focused prayer in the morning. And for some of you, this is going to require an adjustment of your schedule. Let's just be honest. What you do the night before determines what your mornings look like. So just some practical encouragements. Go to bed. You're used to being entertained and there's endless amount of TV, there's endless amount of Facebook. Put your phone down and go to bed. Second, get up early. I know for me, I've got three kids. Once the kids are up, life is chaotic. And so what I need and what is good for my soul, and look, I'm not perfect. There's some days that I get up later. It's because I've done things late at night. But I have found that when I am up in the morning, and, and I usually set my alarm at 6 because the kids are going to be up between 7, 7.30, that gives me an hour to be up, and it's quiet. And I can be before the Lord in prayer. And you know what? This is easier than you think. If you've got to be at a 7.13 a.m. in the morning flight, will you make it? Yeah, you'll make it. Why? What's at stake? You may miss an appointed event. I may miss Seth and Michelle's wedding. Money may be at stake. Hey, look, if the cost and the reward is large enough, you'll prioritize prayer in your life. And so for some of you, it's a rearranging of your schedules. What if I told you that if you were to get up early and pray, that it would make your marriage last forever? What if I told you that if you got up early enough and prioritized things, that you would grow in your faith? Will you commit for the next three weeks to pray five minutes a day? That's all I'm asking. Five minutes a day for the next three weeks. You start five minutes. And you know what you're probably going to see is that's going to, later it's going to turn into 15 minutes and 20 minutes. But just start with five minutes. And don't feel guilty by that. Pray five minutes and go do your work. 
and get to work, along with the reading of the word. Pray the word. And as you pray individually, pray collectively. As we're going to do here in a second, as Tanner, after we respond, is going to lead us in corporate prayer. You not only pray individually, I only challenge you to build in times of praying in your community group, praying in discipling relationships. The first Friday of every month, we have a prayer time at the Shell in 16. Prioritize that in your prayer life. On Sunday mornings, you may meet somebody after the service and go pray with them. You may meet somebody before the service and go pray with them. As I wrap up, will you dream with me? What if we started implementing these rhythms in our life? What might God do? America is the hardest place in the world to pray. And yet there is no greater time than now for the church to devote itself to prayer. And you're too busy to pray. I would say this, you're actually too busy not to pray. Will you take God up with those four words? And let's collectively as a church, ask him boldly and surrender completely. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I need grace to implement these in my life and we collectively need your help. And so God, we just pray that you would help us to that end and you would do a move and a work in greater Boston among the nations for your glory. I pray in Christ's name, amen.